Hello everyone, welcome to Hope Ninja Parents Episode 3. We are here talking all things about kids and screen times. So we're going to be able to help you with what are great screens, when to use them, what to use them for and how to make it even better for you and your family. So let's get started. So everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to Hope Ninja Parents. You're with me, Cynthia Painter, Mindset Coach, and Dr. Louise Metcalf. You want to introduce yourself there? Sure. I'm a psychologist of almost 30 years. I'm a mum, and I'm the founder of George, the little robot who helps kids with anxiety. Yes, we love George. And if you want to know more about George, the app, which is the George uh, kid-friendly robot the details will be in the description and we'll talk a little bit more about George later but for right now we're going to jump into screens oh my god is this like one of the top five issues I'm doing 10 fingers if you're watching me top five issues um, that parents struggle with with their kids right um when we won't give away our ages but I, I when I was growing up there was a concern about sticking kids in front of TVs as the babysitter well now we have mobile because we've got screens so it's um it's a really interesting topic I think what if this is a really juicy one we can jump into don't you think Louise Absolutely. This one has been hot for a very for a lot for a strong number of generations now, but it's more complex now because we just have too many. We have a lot of screens now. Yeah, we, we do, don't we? Okay, well, we'll define screens in a second. And I also, I think it's worth noting that there has been um, an increase in screen time usage. Uh, we're, you know, currently recording this at the end of 2021. Uh, not only Australia and Sydney, but around the world, they've had various lockdowns due to the COVID pandemic. And as much as we've all learned how to make our own bread, <laughs> paint a masterpiece and become a, a, a yogi, um, <laughs> there's certainly been more screen time uh, <laughs> for lots of reasons. So we'll jump into it. Let's first start by defining what we mean by screens. Um, I know, Louise, you wanted to make sure we talk about, you know, what screens are we talking about, uh, what people are doing with them, and how we feel about them. So let's start with types of screens. Let's actually list those out. Let's see phone, I almost knocked my water over, laptops, TVs, iPads, yep, yep, so all those sort of things, and so that, that's all stuff that we actually even take for granted. Now, funnily enough, when, if we were to do this in like another year's time, we'd also be talking about fridges, we, they would have screens on them, you know, all of our home appliances are becoming more and more screen centered right to be more human ai so so we are as right now we're just talking about our portable screens and the screens that we have in our household all right i would love you to take this one from here louise tell us your thoughts on screens uh, and let's pull this one apart okay so when i talk about screens i like to break it down into three things the first thing is the actual device itself because it does make a difference um, the second thing is what you're doing on the screen. So what you're using it for, what your kid is using it for. 
And the third thing is like, what are they slash we exposed to mm. on that? So three different things and really useful to think through each of those three things separately. Yes. So let's start with types of devices. Now, um, funnily enough, when uh, Louise and I first met, it was when I was working for an optometry company called Luxottica at the time. So this takes me back, right? Because although I wasn't an optometrist, I did a lot of work to support the education of optometrists. And I remember them talking about how close you have your screens. Back then, we didn't really have mobile phones, really. God, I sound like a dinosaur. Um, but <laughs> we talked about screens. You said there's a difference in the screens, right? And difference in the devices. And there definitely is a difference between arm's length devices and greater than arm's length. I mean, I know we all grew up with our parents telling us that we'd, you know, get four eyes for watching too much TV, right? So that's one way of dif differentiating them. Did you have another way you wanted to look at the differences in the devices? Yeah, for a psychologist, it's more about the activity with the device. So for example, with TVs, um, you do interact with your TV these days, but not as much as your mobile phone, for example, or your tablet. And really the mobile phone is the most, the most um, you know, um, intensive thing that we interact with on a daily basis. And if you work on computers, your computer tends to be your second one. And then it's tablets. Um, but the very last one on the list tends to be the TV. So these days we talk about TVs as being actually the much more friendly version of the screen because it's kind of, it's kind of limited. You can't pick it up and take it with you. Um, you know, even the very light ones, no one's doing that, which is great. <laughs> Please don't yes. do that. Um, don't start doing that. Uh, and um, they tend to have limited functionality. So although you're, yeah, you might, you might be watching Netflix a fair bit, a lot of people binge Netflix on lockdown and that's fine. Um, it's, it's not the same thing as say interacting consistently with your phone, doing something around social media, for example. So the TV is seen as the more friendly version, the version that allows you to kind of be a bit more present than say, yeah, a mobile phone right up the other end. Yeah. Now, interestingly on that, um, I was looking into, now, first of all, interaction with the TV. My kids always tell me to stop yelling at the TV. So I do interact with my TV quite a lot. Um, anyone else do that or is it just me? Uh, so, <laughs> but I, was, I actually saw that there is some changes in um, how uh, houses and units and apartment blocks and so forth are being designed because a lot of the next generation, those are in their 20s and those coming through. And in fact, the latest generations, and I'm going to knock, I think it's Generation Alpha, uh, is actually the first generation that's grown up with a device in its hand from almost birth. But they actually um, won't be buying such big TVs, right? Because they're so used to using large monitors or use uh, in conjunction with their other devices. And my kids, even my kids are, are teens and tweens. Uh, they watch TV. Uh, they watch YouTube like we watch TV. Mm. So they use the screen. They use the TV screen, but they're watching their favorite YouTubers. Like they don't think of watching the block or news or whatever. They're, everything is YouTube. 
uh, as far. So it's quite interesting then even the TV device itself is going to go through a transformation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Interesting one. All right. So um, let's now just for the sake of all the listeners, we're not going to go too much into social media here. We're going to do a separate one on social media. Right, so um, we will touch on it, but we will go deep into social media on our next episode. So watch out for that one. All right, so let's talk about uses, right? Um, and you're right, the smaller device, the the phone, and so forth, is more on us. I know certainly we are attached to it. I I find I'm carrying it around. I have to stop the kids from taking it into the toilet while they're like. Have a break from it, for God's sake, right? Or, you know, into their bedrooms at night and all those sorts of things. So let's talk about uses um, of device because it's, that's become very interesting, particularly as we went into lockdown and now as we come out of lockdown. Yeah, so like over lockdown, not surprisingly, screen use went up. The, the average was about six to eight hours a day, they say. Uh, we definitely had days in our household that were not that good. <laughs> that would have been a good day. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all guilty of that, right? Uh-huh. So I'm, really, <laughs> I'm really hesitant to talk about screen limits. I don't tend to talk very much about screen limits, but just for the record, right, um, and not to make any mum feel guilty. So uh, please don't. Just It's just good food for thought. So under twos should be zero time on screens. Two to five should be one hour and five to 17, which is a huge age range. Uh, and not uh, really, this should be looked at, I think, um, but <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> it's two hours, right? Now just, nice. just I know, if you're just kind of just schooling online, you're mixing those guidelines, right? You're way above those guidelines. Blowing them out the water. Yeah, so most kids were way over those guidelines during the pandemic. Um, And look, I think it's very hard to keep a kid, you know, particularly in tween and teen years, into the the two-hour limit. So you're doing well if you manage that, I think. You're some kind of like superhero slash wizard parent (laughs) if you're achieving that on a daily basis um yeah so what they're using them for right is part of that screen time thing because most kids when they're younger are using you know apps and you know maybe a site that their parent has kind of taken them to so it's parent approved usually it's educational um you know and if if you're sort of a a five or six kid and you're using it for entertainment purposes you pretty much never go past youtube kids for most kids Right. Yeah. But yeah, even those apps can have interesting problems attached to them in relation to time. So I'm going to talk about YouTube Kids because it's the most common. But YouTube Kids has, just like YouTube, has an algorithm that basically tries to spot what the kid is very interested in and shows them more of that. Yes. And it sounds lovely, right? It's like, oh, that's easy. They're so helpful. Sure. So helpful. searching for them, right? So that's great. Um, the downside, though, is how the brain reacts to that. Hmm. So the brain actually reacts to that in a way which is really interesting. It sees it as like a constant task. So it's like, oh, oh, I haven't watched that one. I better, I better watch that. 
and then a next one pops up. Oh, I haven't seen that. Must watch that. And so it just kind of feels like after a while, though you 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 kind of like the show that you're watching, um, it feels like kind of mental overload because yeah. it's a never-ending task. <laughs> yeah. It's designed that way. It's designed to keep you on there. Now yes. that that is a very important thing to know about YouTube and YouTube Kids, because we have to, even at that very young age of say five, um, you, we have to start educating kids on what the technology is really doing. So even on a very mild app, right? YouTube Kids has all sorts of like filters, and they're very particular about the programs they allow on there and you know they're very fussy about creators on YouTube kids and you can't advertise to kids um, I only learned that very recently but that was cool um so there's all sorts of different sort of things in there to protect them even that has problems so yeah, yeah you just it, it just gets kind of worse after <laughs> yeah look and I think the brain as well because it does rotate Right, and I think this is the same with games and so forth, uh, and YouTube. Is it? It goes on to the next one. So it's like, I, I even have the thing of I'll just, oh, I'll just watch this, and then I'll go do the thing. I'll just, and it, it becomes this continuous little uh, treadmill that you're on because it's like I'll oh, just this one, and time flies. It's like a casino, right? They just never want you to leave, and you just don't notice the time that's going by, and particularly when you're sucked in visually. Um, you know, it's designed with the right colors and the right audio and the right stimulus to, and particularly with the AI, the algorithm feeding it back to you that, and I'm big on social media, I'm really, you know, it's a great concept and, and, and these different platforms, but they are designed to keep you engaged. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, did a course a few years ago and they called it the eyes economy. I think mm. that's a great way to see it. They're literally stealing your eyesight, right? Mm. That's the economy. So, yeah, those moments, you know, when you're staring at the screen and you're having a conversation with someone, you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> you're fully engaged in the eye of the economy. You're paying your dues for that free, you know, service or site that you're looking at. Yeah. Okay. So I'm wondering, I think everyone else is wondering as well, so what is the impact psychologically? What is the impact on the mind of, and, I, and you've given us some, and I know we talked about it just for the framework of time, um, but, you know, we've got up to five and then five to 17. Big, big jump here. Let's just, what's the impact of, you know, screen time on the development of the mind um, and how we view the world? Yeah, so there's some really interesting thinking problems that kind of happen, called yeah. those cognitive problems, and some really interesting affective or emotional problems that kind of surface as well. But the one I think will really shock people is that um, the more you use sites uh, as a young child that are kind of like YouTube kids or things that kind of lead you along, which most apps do, even the most well-meaning educational apps often just lead kids along um, for long periods of time, they had this interesting effect in the brain that has only just been reported, so we'll keep following it, but it's basically a thinning of the cortex. Right. Like it's part of the brain, that higher level part of the brain. So right. that, that is such an interesting problem. That's a little bit scary because if you, if you don't have as much 
cortex, you struggle to do things like critical thinking. And, you know, this podcast is about hope and critical thinking, you know, although it's contrary to a lot of people's view of hope, is actually a core part of hope. Really, really important hope um, component because if you don't have critical thinking alongside hope, what happens is you tend to have naivety. And so you fall over at some point, right? Because you're not critically thinking through things. And then you think, what's hope's no good. Hope's good for nothing. So critical thinking actually gives you that kind of hope which will last throughout your lifetime. So we we need that cortex. We need that capacity to critically think. Mm. And the more that you are led through technology, according to this piece of um, great neuro research, the, the less you're building that. So that's quite an interesting, very big problem. Yeah, would that also have uh, an impact? Because I, I want to say I think it is, but then you might correct me. So would that also have uh, an impact on their um, emotional calibration? If, the, if that cortex is thinning, the critical thinking is there, and you're trying to say, well, logically, this, you know, this thing is going to happen. I, I talk to my kids all the time, and they go down the worry line rather than the hope line. And so I'm wondering whether that will actually make them more, I don't want to say emotionally imbalanced, but impact the ability to have that emotional regulation because if they're critical thinking, they can't step back objectively and have a look at it. Yeah, once we start, you know, um, delving more into like apps like social media, this really starts to bump up because what's happening when, you know, kids are interacting with a piece of technology like social media there are things that are sort of popping up, you know, kind of the, the likes, um, also the things that they think it should be, you should be interested in. And in some, some you know, apps of social media, um, it also shows you things that it thinks you will be angry about. Yeah. So, yeah, to get that interaction, right, to keep your eye, to keep the eye economy going. Yes. So, um, yeah, one of the, the, the big things that happens for the brain when it's constantly having to kind of when it feels compelled to check basically compelled yes. to check because the app is going check this read this this is important what happens is yeah you're starting to actually train the brain almost train the brain for anxiety this is interesting because and we will talk social media in much more depth but if we take YouTube as an example and it is a sort of social media but let's take YouTube and and games so I can talk for my my kids who like I said tweens and teens uh, they get that anxiety of having to check in with their YouTuber right so the YouTubers is oh there's a new you know such and such has got a new thing out and of course YouTubers are predominantly watching are ones that are playing games that they then want to watch um you know Roblox and all sorts you know Minecraft and so forth but there is that FOMO that that needing to check in on and and my youngest is like 10 right so needing to check in on that YouTuber and he's got something out or he's going to be putting something out or or so forth so you see this coming across into those examples and how does it also how would you say it also plays out for those kids that are really into their gaming like my youngest particularly is into his gaming you know he wants to be on the device regardless of what he's doing but games any forms of games are are his jam yeah well don't mistake games most games um i'm sure there are some out there that aren't like this 
but most games are designed to be addictive. Yeah. So they're, and they're very hard to keep kids off, right? You might sort mm. of have a reaction that, oh, well, kids just shouldn't be using them. And that sounds all well and good, but it's very, very hard to keep kids off games because they talk about them at school. <laughs> That's the whole point, right? You go, and we actually talk in the corporate world um, and in organisations about bringing gamification into yeah. what we do for um, performance reviews and for launches and so forth, right? So there is that gamification is there to keep you intrigued. You build your skills. Uh, there is actually even a TED talk. I can't remember his name now. He talks about the Super Mario effect to life, right? And about, you know, it's great TED talk. Love it, right? And about the fact that, you know, to apply. Now, this is an interesting twist on it, though. And I do wish I could remember. If we find the name, we'll put it into the show notes for this as well. But his TED talk was using Super Mario Brothers as an idea of when you go and learn a game, you don't fail and then go, I'm terrible, I'm never playing that game again. Um, whereas in life, we may do, oh, I can't do that, so I'm not going to give it a go. What we do in a game is that we sit there and go, oh, couldn't get past that obstacle. Now I know what to do with that. I go back and I read, I, I regenerate or whatever the game is particularly doing and I give it another go, right? And I keep giving it a go with the idea of getting that reward or getting to that next level and next level and next level, right? Yeah. So well, everything about games is bad. You know, yeah. um, gamification for the corporate world, gamification in real life um, can be quite positive. Done well, obviously, it can also be done quite badly, but done well, it can be really positive. The problem with um, digital games in particular is that they're highly stimulating, highly available, <laughs> and again, designed to keep your eyes in the game. Mm. So the eye economy, you know, again, working really strongly in games, um, not for all games, but for most games. So yeah. you've got to, like, there are sort of, there's a real problem around attention grabbing, right? Like games yeah. can be really rewarding and really positive. And, you know, I think any mum who's had a go at creating a game for a birthday party has even seen that in action, right? And that's not addictive. We're not addictive yeah. to, to doing that every day. Kids don't want to do pass the parcel every day, mostly. Um, <laughs> but obviously, yeah, there are some uh, well-known games out there that are very, yeah, kids feel compelled to kind of come back every day. And for some kids, that's worse it's not just every day it's almost every hour and they feel quite bad if yeah. they feel missing out on something in the game yeah yeah i've definitely seen it you know and like even in my kid and and his friends and they're like oh can i just have um, can i have the phone and just play it i'm like we're going in five minutes yeah that's fine Read it in. <laughs> no uh, and that's the thing, right? That guilt, the mom's guilt, the parent guilt, guardian guilt, whatever you want to call it, that's all fine. You know, and the, the quiet up because I need to think for five seconds and the pest apology, they're good at that. They're good at that. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so should we talk about that for a second? What's some some I know we've got a big thing at the end that we want to share with you as a practical takeaway, but when it comes to that moment when we're like, they've asked for it again or they won't get off it or whatever. Got any thoughts for our parents out there going, I just want to be a better parent. <laughs> How do I deal with this moment without screaming? Uh, 
look, addiction is a very powerful thing. So you're not going to win this battle all the time. You're definitely not. It's, I would say it's much better to take that long-term road, which we're going to talk about at the end. There's a bit of a build-up to that now. Um, and in, in the, like, in the short term, just keep talking to your kids about what the technology is doing. So it's, you almost, as a parent, you almost need to be part coder, don't you? Because you have to talk about things like, you know, the, the information the app is taking from you and putting in the database and how they're using that to then build more stuff that will keep you in the game. You know, just sort of keep talking to them about what this technology is really doing. Because yeah. we look at our devices and kids are exactly the same. They look at their devices and they see it as the tablet you know or just a phone it's like yeah, it's like a book right it's the same shape you know um sort of it's nothing like that it's a door to it to a big world mm. where a lot of stuff is going on good bad genuinely ugly and that's how they need to see it so yeah. they're not going to see it that way unless we talk about it to them with them like that and that includes yeah even sites with all that filter, filtering and nanny stuff in it like youtube can get the conversation going really early really get that knowledge hammered in about what this really thing is really doing yeah. and how their behavior is interacting so you feel compelled to play this game and that is because of the way that they reward you in the game yeah yeah, or, or how the YouTuber rewards you. So, you know, sit there and give us likes or if we get to this many likes, we're going to do this. <laughs> subscribe. Hey, guys, subscribe. So you can do that here, by the way. Hey, guys, subscribe here. <laughs> Come on, look. I don't, think we can, <laughs> I don't think we can talk about screens and not mention two elements that I'd love to touch on and then we'll wrap up with our practical tip. Um, and that is probably two fears or concerns that parents have. One is the impact on their ability, the kids' ability to socialise. So urban myth, reality, there's probably a bit of everything in there on how does that impact their ability to socialise in the real world and, or as my kids say, the IRL in real life. Uh, <laughs> and the other is, you know, technology in the room at night so when we're talking about bedtime overnight you know there's lots of ways we can tackle that so let's talk socialization let's talk nighttime and then let's give a lovely practical tip for our listeners okay so socialization uh there's no firm evidence about what's really happening in relation to socialization but i think as adults we can see that it does affect our socialization you know, particularly through the pandemic, I think it really, and, and now out of lockdown, I think it's really shown people how they behave differently on social media versus IRL. <laughs> so you might like, you know, um, have discovered that you're willing to have some conversations by typing, you know, a keyboard worrying perhaps. Yeah. And not so much in real life. Now that yeah. is a really important, you know, um, moment to kind of stop and think about that like why is it that that is the case for you and what is driving that and even to have that conversation with your your kids like this is i i do different stuff online this is how it works for me you know and this yeah. is my understanding of that 
So it, it does, we do socialize differently on the internet, but as to the effects of that in terms of, you know, kids' abilities to socialize, we don't have that data yet. Not, not, um, not for the kids who are, you know, really growing up with a device and they're the ones that are going to really show us what that looks like. Yeah, um, because it's the same even in gaming. So from a gaming, I mean, obviously there's commentary in YouTube uh, videos, but particularly in gaming, you have real life, well, real time interactions, uh, whether your kids are allowed to or not, but they can see, um, sometimes you can hear uh, what it is that other people saying and the age groups might be quite vast with that as well. And what's okay, you know, hacking and, and other things that way people talk to each other, um, let alone just the general thing we're talking about, their ability to socialize with, with other people outside of gaming as well. On that side of things though, we could talk about this more in, this, in social media, but um, when, when kids are doing that, when they're interacting with people online, um, it's important to know, do you know that person? Yeah. You know, um, and I think online gaming is where, I, is where I've seen um, some stuff happen, which was unsuspected by parents. Because it seems like they're always going to be gaming with their friends. Yeah. And that is not always the case. So having that conversation of, do you actually know this person? Have you met them IRL? Um, you know, do I know their parents? You know, so yeah. that there's a real connection there between, you know, understanding that it's not a, it's not a benign um, object that you're holding here or interacting yeah. with. It's a big door to an outside world. And yeah, sometimes people involved in those online um, IRL conversations in games are not who you think they are. Yeah. 100%, 100%. Awesome. So let's talk about tech in the room, particularly at night. It is a question. My teenager and I are having lovely fights over this. Sure, I'm not the only one. Even younger ones. I don't have tech in my room. I don't have a TV. I don't take my phone up for lots of reasons. Uh, but let's just talk in general what we need to think about as far as tech overnight or in bedrooms in general. The big impact of tech overnight is this problem of FOMO. So kids kind of constantly checking, you know, should I should I be involved in this conversation or is there a conversation going on that I should know about? You know, um, does my friend need me? You know, it's all that sort of FOMO stuff. Yeah. And so obviously, not surprisingly at all, that impacts the sleep. Yeah. And that's... Uh, not so good at all because the brain really needs sleep. It's its way of kind of taking out the garbage and sorting out the memories and things like that. So being able to uh, have that discussion with your kid about, you know, how much sleep actually are you getting? How do you actually feel? And, and so how should we together work with limiting this device at night so that you actually can get sleep? And for some kids, they're so worried about FOMO yeah. That, that needs to include discussions with other parents and, you know, maybe even other kids with their parents um, about the limitations of your child's, you know, digital life. So yeah. you could very openly say, look, you know, if, if you do need help from nine till, you know, six or whatever, um, you know, a, my, my kid will not have their device on them because I take it from them. So please yeah. don't take it personally. Don't think they don't, they suddenly don't like you as a friend um, or they don't want to give you help. 
it is a digital health thing that we are doing for our family. Yeah. So my son, my son ought to talk about family health issues, even digital health, um, with their with you know other parents and kids. But it's a kind of a trend we need to get going, actually. I really like it. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. And I mean, of course, you know, people might put it down. There's lots of apps and things you can turn, you know, have reduced that as well. Um, that yeah. doesn't help the fight uh, when they're saying, I want to have it in, or I'm worried that my friends are, you know, something's going to happen to them because they, you know, the, the older they get, the more friends are more important to them than anything else. And like you said, that FOMO kicks in. So I think that's a, the sooner you can get that happening, I think, with, with other friends with their friends parents I think it's a great idea because you are preempting that concern of my friend doesn't like me anymore and that's really important to kids and teens yeah it's just it just works a bit better to get their agreement on it you know to work them through the problem and then yes. you know hope for that hope for that last, that last moment of clarity on their side when they go you're right I'm not going to use my phone from nine till six okay that's not always going to happen but <laughs> No, uh, I um, I love uh, this was this little diagram we shared with me once, which is basically two uh, interlocking circles, and there's parents' choice or parents' decision, child's decision, and an overlap where it's both. And there's times when you can let the child lead, and there's times when you ideally both agree with it, and there's times you just have to be a, a parent, not a friend. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Parent, not a friend, right? So as much as we all want to be friends, right? Yeah. So, uh, beautiful. All right. So let's, we're going to finish off with this um, practical takeaway that you can use. So uh, this was, you were calling it a screen audit, yes? Yeah. Okay. okay. So, Take us through that. Yeah. So we, we love in this podcast to kind of give you a sense of hope, right? We just talked about some really tough stuff, even like, you know, things that are happening in kids' brains, which are, you know, largely out of our control. So that's really tough. But here's the hope part. Once you know how these technologies are kind of interacting with your brain as a kid and as an adult, that gives you more capacity to make decisions. So here's the best way to start. Pull all your devices out and bring them into the lounge room. You might be surprised how many you've got. <laughs> <laughs> all the screens, all the screens. Yeah, most people are very surprised at the amount of screens they've got. So pull them all out, phones, computers. If you've got a TV in the bedroom, okay, maybe you can't pick it up, but take a photo, a photo of it. <laughs> Put them on the coffee table if it's going to fit or on the floor to actually show that map. These are the all iPods, the tablets, the, the Nintendo Switch, the all the big. Yeah, pull them out. And then what you see, right? Uh, so with TVs, not, not a fully open door, obviously, as we talked about, but the other devices are basically fully open doors to the world, the big wide world with all the beauty and also the ugly and the incredibly ugly out there. So think about that as a family, right? Look at those screens and go, are we doing what we want to be doing with our lives? And do these screens fit into that picture? 
how do they fit into that picture? And these days we have to work on screens pretty much, right? Like hardly anybody's fully back in the office yet. And even there you're working on screens. So yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing we've got to deal with. So have a conversation as a family about what this looks like for your family. What does this pattern look like? So that it's healthy, so it still means you're connecting together. You're still having family dinners, actually talking to each other and looking at each other, you know. No devices um, at the table. <laughs> you're getting your sleep, right? And you're getting your learning and, and just work that out as a family because everybody has different values and that's not really a problem. It's just getting them out on the table and actually thinking it through as a family and choosing to act in a way which actually supports each other rather than drives each other apart. Yeah, and I think there's some great things about that. There is the physicality and the visibility element of having the screens and seeing it. So that visual imprint is really quite important. Uh, but also talking about it in context of what are we using these devices for? And, you know, you've got teenagers who are like, it's their lifeblood, um, you know, and kids it's you know, there's a whole pile of things in there but having that conversation but I think even that bigger conversation of okay what do we want to do in our day-to-day -day life in our life overall what's important how we and how do these enhance or hinder that yeah you and because it's so sneaky right like they're constantly you know constantly trying to sort of get that eye economy more and more you want to factor into your life a pretty regular screen audit yeah. So every year is probably a good place to kind of to kind of keep your audit. Do it every year. And that way you're staying. On holidays. The <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> right. Or it might be a good like, you know, um spring clean for the new year or something, right? Nice. But whack it in, keep your family on track with your values. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And they're changing needs as well. So as those children grow, um, they're going to have different needs and, and particularly wanting to be heard. So yeah. I think that's a really great way of doing it. Beautiful. All right. Wow. We've touched on quite a lot with screen. This has been great. We've had a few different angles. So um, I'd love to, if you have any questions, put them in the comments. Let us know. You can reach out to us on the various platforms. And of course, uh, if you want to get in contact us, that's how you can do that. If you've liked this, then let us know. If you have any questions, let us know as well. Now, if you also want some help with your children, particularly school-aged children, with their big emotions, with dealing and tackling with the world and dealing with anxiety, uh, we do have George the Robot, the George the Kid-Friendly App Robot. The details will be in the comments in the show notes, so check those out and uh, yes, you can. On that, just to on George's screen time, we try and keep the, we have a limit actually in George. We try and keep kids on George for just a small amount of time. Get what they need and then get back into IRL. <laughs> yes, they do. Very true. Because it's actually George is, we don't really talk too much about what it is. We have the description, but George is a process that they check in and check their health and how they're emotionally feeling and gives them tips on how to deal with that. So it's, it's not something going to be on for hours. It's not going to take up too much screen time. Um, all right, we're going to jump off. Do stay tuned, though. We've got an episode coming up all on social media. So we will be, we've been, you can see we've been at the bit to jump in it already. Uh, we're going to deep dive very shortly. All right, thank you for listening, everyone, and we will see you soon. Bye.